hurry up and drink. Drink faster. It's always uh, wonderful to, you know, to be singing uh, worship songs that require you to replenish your, uh, your uh, reservoirs of water afterwards. Because uh, it's just, you know, sometimes uh, worshiping God requires energy, right? And I think, uh, you know, that's okay. I think it's, uh, it's good. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for this new season. Um, Lord, I thank you for this lovely day and for the sun um, and just how it uh, lifts our spirits, Lord, and, and it just reminds us, Lord, how faithful you are and uh, how good you are and that you created it, Lord, and this sun that lights up our world isn't even one of the major stars, Lord God. It's just one of the little really tiny ones in a tiny neighborhood of the galaxy of, of uh, you know, of the universe and just thinking of all the stars, all the hundreds of millions of stars and the hundreds of millions of solar systems and the galaxies, Lord, and yet you made them all. And here we are in North Gore, sat here, um, ready to hear from, from you, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that, you that your grace is so so profound and so deep and so wide and so never-ending, Lord, that uh, we can come to you with our frailty and our sins and our weaknesses and our regrets, and we can bring it all to you, Lord God, and as we repent, Lord God, as we just bring our true selves, Lord, you do something new in our lives, Lord. So I just pray that, uh, um, that, yeah, somehow, Lord, that uh, you would speak through whatever I'm about to say, Lord God, and that your will would be done in our midst, Lord. Would you just lay your, your blessing over the people here and over the people who are at home and over the people who will be watching this later, Lord? Would you bless them uh, with the knowledge of, of, of your truth and your presence and your grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, it was it was a few uh, weeks ago um, that I got uh, an invitation from my friends uh, Jeff and Arlene, and uh, they invited me to come and hike the Luskville Falls with them uh, on Friday, which was my day off. And so it wasn't a hard call for me, um, you know, to go for a hike, one of my favorite things to do in an area that I've never really explored before, which is also one of my favorite things to do is to go explore somewhere new uh, with two people that I really enjoy the company of. Um, so I was really excited. So on the morning of the hike, I packed for my hike. I had my leather sling bag that I carry everywhere with me. I had a canteen of water, had some snacks, had my lunch, had a Kindle. Always have my Kindle because, you know, the conversation was boring. You know, at least I'd have something to do. And uh, no, I, I always have it because you never know when you might have the chance to read. And so I always want to grab um, every opportunity. I, I And then I had my cameras, not just one, I think I had three, and I wore my North Face vest uh, and my flat cap, always got to bring the flat cap everywhere I go, and uh, and then I walked over to Jeff and Arlene's, and then we headed off to Quebec, and the hike was absolutely stunning. It was 
really gorgeous. Um, it, was, it was a lot of work. It was a, it was a lot of work on the thighs. It was a thigh workout, um, but it was absolutely stunning. And one of the secrets that uh, Jeff explained to me is you have to time this hike right. He said, you have to wait until after the leaves have fallen, which seems rather counterintuitive because, you know, we have some of the loveliest fall colors in the world here. Um, but if you wait till after the leaves have fallen, then as you climb up this um, Luskville Falls hike, then you actually get to see these stunning views um, over the uh, Ely Escarpment, over to the Ottawa River, and, uh, and then as you keep climbing higher and higher, it just gets more and more lovely. And so I woke up that morning excited, knowing that I was going to go to Luskville Falls. And because I had a rough idea of what to expect, uh, even though I'd never actually been, I prepared accordingly. Happy New Year. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Maybe you're thinking, okay, haven't you skipped, like, Christmas? And, uh, but actually, today is the start of the new church year. So it's Happy New Year. Last, last week, we finished year C of the church year. This week is the start of year A. There's year A, year B, year C, and it just keeps looping on round. We've uh, ended year C. We're now into year A. And... Um, and I know that this is rather confusing because our culture says that um, that this is not, or, or or that this is the end of the year. Um, but you know that this is the time when we get to close off the year with Advent and, and with Christmas, and then we start the new year with New Year's. But if you think about it, you know that Advent and Christmas is about the birth of a baby. Um, and have you ever gone to a baby shower where everyone is saying to the mum? Well, it's the end of an era for you, isn't it? You know, where, where people are going up to the mum and saying, well, how do you feel about no longer being a not-mum? Are you excited about no longer being a not-mum? Is there anything that you want to do in your last minutes of freedom uh, before the birth of the baby that will, in effect, end your freedom? Okay, in a similar way, it could be sort of weird ending our year with the birth of baby God, right? Surely, rather than being the end of a chapter, that the birth of baby God should be the start of a new chapter of a new year, which is why I say to you, Happy New Year. So with all that being said, turn to your neighbor again, and with feeling, say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. There you go. Great job. As you uh, navigate these next few weeks, my challenge to you and to myself is every now and again to get yourself into the mindset that this is the start of a new year, not the end of an old year. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually rather curious to, to, um, to, to see, almost as a bit of an experiment, how it might change how you and I view these next few weeks if you view it as the start of a new year, not as the end of an old year. You know, so actually by the time Christmas rolls around, we'll already be four weeks into the new year. Um, I don't know uh, what, if, if anything at all, it'll change anything, but I am interested to see. And so I'd encourage you to just every time you think about it, go, the new year has started. It's really like uh, the difference between, you know, getting ready for bed and waking up. 
right? Your, your routines for going to bed and waking up are very different. You know, going to bed is about relaxing the mind. You know, just last night, Wendy said to me, I was doing, I, had, I have this song that I recorded and I was posting it on YouTube and Wendy was like, you know, turn the laptop off. Um, not like that, in a much more gentle Canadian way. But uh, that's, in effect, what, what she said, because, um, because, you know, you don't want to be stimulating your mind up until the last moment that you were conscious. So it's about slowing down your thought processes. It's about thinking calm thoughts. It's about praying. For me, it's about reading. What are these things that you can do to unwind, to have a good night's sleep? But then waking up is something very differently. Uh, something very different. It's about the anticipation of the new day, um, you know, this new set of 16 hours ahead of you filled with challenges and possibilities. Uh, so, in, you know, just like I woke up on, on Friday the 28th of October, excited and looking forward to my Luskville Falls hike with Arlene and with Jeff. And so, in the, in the same way, right, Jesus wants us to wake up. He wants us to wipe the sleep, you know, you know, the crud in the corner of your eyes. He wants you to wipe that away. He wants you to have a shower. He wants you to put some clothes on. Um, he wants you to have some breakfast. He wants you to brush your teeth, right? Because what's coming is exciting. It's new. Uh, it's a new day. It's a new year full of uh, both possibilities and responsibilities. It's an, it's a new, it's a new kingdom. Jesus is bringing a new kingdom. Over these next few weeks in Advent, we're going to be focusing on um, encountering Emmanuel as we start year A in the, le- in the lectionary. And this morning, all I want to be focusing on is starting the day right, waking up on the right side of bed, waking up with the right truths in our heads, which leads to the right attitudes in our hearts and which then leads to the right actions in our lives, right? The right truth in the head leads to right attitude in the heart, which leads to right actions in life. No leads to grow, leads to show. And that's what we as Cornerstone are all about. Now, when I think of um, this idea of encountering Emmanuel, I'm thinking of geography. I'm thinking of journeys and mountains and trig points and orienteering and navigating. I'm thinking of ups and downs and locations and latitude and longitude. Life in Christ is supposed to be anything except humdrum and boring, right? After, after all, the word advent has the same root as the word adventure, right? It's this Latin word adventurus, which means something is about to happen. So the word advent and the word adventure is from this word in Latin, which means that something is about to happen. Something is about to happen. And the first step in preparing to encounter Emmanuel, in expecting something to happen, um, in going on this advent adventure, is to get up and to wake up right. And, that's, and so we turn to our scripture starting in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, which says this. It says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In other words, Paul's telling us, you know, to get up, to move from horizontally lying down to vertically standing up. And this always 
I don't know if you've ever woken up in the morning, but sometimes it requires an act of the will, right? You don't feel yourself into getting up. When you're lying in the warmth of your blankets and you're not fully awake, you don't want to get up. I have these mornings when there is a power stronger than the force of gravity that's holding me down that's acting on my body, that somehow has me Velcroed, you know, to these sheets. There are these days that I just want to stay in bed. Hands up if you've ever had that feeling. You just want to stay in bed. Well, thank you for making it this morning. Unless you're tuning in online because you didn't make it, in which case you're proving my point. And so Paul here is using this analogy of getting up to highlight an important spiritual truth. He's saying that we need to be alert, that we need to switch on our souls and our minds, and we can only switch on our souls and our minds with an act of the will, with a choice that we make, through saying to yourself, okay, now is the time to wake up. Three, two, one, up you get, right? And, and then you do it. You say, Paul is... He, he seems to be saying that there is um, a significant risk that we could, in effect, snooze our way through life. And we know this because in the verses leading up to verse 13, it's all about how does the Christian live in society? It's a really practical you know, passage. How does a follower of Jesus relate maybe to the authorities? What are the obligations of a Christian in a secular world. And then Paul wraps up these thoughts by saying that it's all about love, that our one obligation that never changes is to love each other. And if we love each other according to God's command, then we will fulfill all of the Ten Commandments. If we love each other, then we don't have to worry about maybe adultery or murder or stealing or You know, coveting, as verse 9 says, because we love each other. And of course, love isn't a feeling, right? You don't feel your way into love. Love is an act of the will. It's choosing to love each other because God first loved us. And so to fit into our analogy, you could say this, that loving each other properly in the love of Jesus is like like getting out of bed. Which means, on the other hand, that when we choose to give in to our natural sinful tendencies, like adultery or murder or stealing or coveting, i.e. not loving each other with the love of Christ, it's like we're slumbering or sleeping through life. When we live lives of sin, not just one little sin, but ongoing sin that we can never seem to shake. What we're doing in effect was we're hitting the snooze button on God's plan for our lives. Sin is is sleeping, but choosing to love each other is waking up, is actually getting out of bed, which is why Paul says this, besides this, since you know the time, it's already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Jesus is coming. Jesus' new kingdom is on its way. And the way to be prepared for God's kingdom to come is to wake up, is to engage the will, to stop lying down in the warmth of and the comfort and the laziness of sin and to get up. 
And after getting up, you then have a shower and you get dressed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, I've never understood the whole thing about wearing pajamas in the daytime. Okay, I'm not a pajamas in the daytime individual at all. Sure, I can understand it for special school days or for sleepovers or for fancy dress parties. I can understand that. But the whole thing about just wearing pajamas throughout the day, it's not me. But actually, what we found is that over COVID, it became a bit of a cliche, right? It became a bit of a, a meme, you know, shirt and tie on top for the business meeting on Zoom and then, you know, pajamas on the bottom. And that was fine because no one could see them. Or show up to church on Sunday on the couch wearing your favorite PJs. I mean, why, why not? And uh, in fact, some of us joining online might be still wearing your PJs, in which case, welcome. Now, I'm not, of course, making a moral statement that wearing pajamas after nine o'clock in the morning is sinful, right? That would be silly. Paul's not saying that either. But this idea of spiritually getting up from your slumber um, involves this next step of changing your clothes. It's to put on the appropriate outfit. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us first discard the deeds of darkness and secondly put on the armor of of light Paul's saying if you want to enjoy the life that God intends for you to enjoy then you need to put on the right clothes you know for me to prepare for that hike meant me choosing my keen walking shoes and my hiking trousers and my Columbia vest but Paul here isn't talking about uh hiking clothes, he's talking about armor, the armor of light, which means that when we wake up from the slumber of sin and when we choose to love each other, what what this means is that we're walking into the middle of a battle. We're walking into a, a, a fight. Now, if you're like me, you, you might say, well, I don't want to have a battle. I don't want to walk into a fight. I don't want to wake up in the morning into the middle of an argument. I want to have a coffee and my devotion book or my social media. But the reality is that you don't choose the battle. The battle chooses you. You don't have a choice whether you wake up into peace and calm or if you walk, wake up into the middle of a battle. As soon as you turn on your smartphone, as soon as you turn on the news, as soon as you start doom scrolling through social media, you've entered a battle. In fact, if the first thing that you do in the morning is to fire up your phone like a zombie and turn to social media, I sometimes do that. But if you do this, then there's a good chance that you're already losing the battle. It's like your mind is giving up and it's going back to sleep. It's going back to bed. Because if social media is good for anything, it's good for helping us not love each other. Have you ever judged anyone based on their social media posts? Anyone? Confession time? Why does Dan always post pictures of him hiking with his flipping dog? Or him cleaning out the gutter of his house as though that's something impressive to do. For me, it is impressive. 
I didn't fall off the ladder. Has social media ever led you down the roads of sin? You know, you, you click on that link, which leads to that link, which leads to that link. And before you know it, you're down in this rabbit hole of unhealthiness. Remember that sin is like slumber. It's like hitting the snooze button and going back to sleep. But loving each other is like waking up. And loving each other in a right way, according to Christ, requires the right clothes. And the first thoughts that you allow in your head is likely the outfit that you're going to wear for the rest of the day. And if before you've even had your first cup of coffee, you're already hearing notifications and being drawn in by likes and comments and opinions and outrage and noise and clatter and bluster and adverts and ping, 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 ping and judgment and all of this stuff, then you've already decided not to put on your armor. Like a pair of old pajamas, deeds of darkness are comfortable. You know them. They just fit you in all the right places and they're worn in all the right places. They hang just right. And there's zero protection against the schemes of Satan. In fact, they invite him in. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them for it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. On the other hand, armor is not necessarily comfortable, but it's effective. You don't wear armor for comfort, you wear armor for protection. Why? Because you're expecting a battle. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So what are you wearing? Oh, let's keep reading. For this reason... Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So what are you wearing? Are you wearing, wearing the deeds of darkness and slumbering through life or have you through Christ taken them off and have put on the armor of light, the armor of God? So you've woken up, you've got up, you've got dressed the next, the next step to making the most of the day is to get moving. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, Romans 13, 13. Here, Paul is talking about motion, about getting moving. When you get up and get dressed and leave the house, where is it that you end up? You know, I remember when I was a missionary uh, on the ship, arrived at this one port in Southeast Asia, and we were given one specific piece of advice. We were told this, that if you turn left, you head towards the city, but if you turn right, you end up in the red light district. In other words, we were told, don't turn right. If you turned right, everyone knew where you were heading. Life is about our choices. Do I 
sleep through life, nursing my wounds and my bitterness, or do I get up in love? Do I luxuriate in the comfy and stale deeds of darkness, or do I put on the right outfit for warfare? And now do I walk with decency, which seems to be a very antiquated word, as in the daytime, or do I stumble around in drunkenness and sexual impurity and quarreling and jealousy? Now, I find it interesting that Paul, he doesn't outline what walking with decency looks like, right? He's clear about the sinful ways to live, but it's as if he doesn't need to be specific about what walking in the daytime looks. Why is that? Maybe it's because when you choose to walk in the daytime, when you choose to walk in integrity and obedience to God, life becomes simple. Not easy, but simple. You know, think about it. If you've already chosen love as you get up, if you've already chosen the armor of God, the armor of light, because you know that loving in God's way is a battle, then it's unlikely once you've woken up in love and put on the armor of light, it's unlikely that you're going to end up in the wrong places, right? Because you've already made your decision. It works something like this, right? If you choose sin, there are so many options and so many complications and so many knock-on effects and so many unintended consequences. One sin leads to another, which branches off into two more and then five more and then 10 more. It's a bit like, uh, what's that, um, you know, the Greek thing where you cut off the head? Is it the hydra? And then there are more, which, you know, there are more heads which grow. You chop that one off and it grows. You know, that's like sin. It just um, multiplies and it gets more and more complicated. You do this sin. And then this sin uh, means that you have to cover up this sin, which means you have to do this sin in order to cover up this sin. Uh, and then you have to remember that sin that you don't forget. And in a moment of weakness, accidentally out yourself about this sin because you forgot this sin. Living a life of habitual sin is exhausting. Sin gives birth to sin which gives birth to sin. On the other hand, when you uh, wake up, when you get up and get dressed and get moving towards God, walking with decency as in the daytime, your life simply becomes about one thing. It becomes simple. You're motivated by one determining factor. Will this bring glory to God? Will this bring pleasure to my Savior, Jesus? And this, this one thing idea is summed up in this song from 10 years ago, which says this, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. And what is that? To know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after Jesus. To know Jesus and to follow hard after him. That's all I want, Lord in my life, one pure and holy passion, one magnificent obsession. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. You know, there's this sense here as I read this that it feels like waking up in Christ is a bit like waking up from a drunken stupor when you have that hangover, right? Um, you know, in another part of the Bible, Paul says this, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And it's not just alcohol. Of course, it's not just alcohol. Perhaps your addiction is prescription drugs, or perhaps your drug of choice is nursing hatred that you will never let go of, or wasting time, or fantasizing about someone else, or destroying others through a juicy piece, a juicy piece of news that maybe they didn't know about so-and-so, and they just need to know about this so that they can have the whole picture. Maybe that is your drug of choice, or perhaps your drug of choice is uncontrollable anger or needling someone with spite, just knowing how to say that right thing at the right time that just makes them feel wretched. I wonder what your drug of choice is. And so after the night of that, as you come to with your head pounding in shame, All you have to say is this, Jesus, I'm sorry that I sinned. I'm sorry I allowed myself to go there again. Would would you forgive me? Would you help me to love my neighbor as myself? And then as that hangover eases, and as you get back into clarity, it becomes clear to anyone that the simplicity of following Jesus is far more preferred than the addiction-clouded and complicated fog of sin. You know, the peace and calmness of a clear conscience in God's shalom cannot be replicated or replaced by any number of the poor substitutes that the world has to offer. So get up, get dressed, get moving. And finally, and perhaps this is the most important part, don't forget your coat Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 13, 14. Okay, it's a bit of a cliche in my household. I leave the house for work only to realize I forgot my lunch or my keys or my phone or my hat or my coat. I think that the nearer you live to your workplace, the more you forget stuff. If I knew I had to drive 45 minutes, I would check but I don't. And that's why it's good to go through a, 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 a process of actively and consciously making sure that I have everything I need. Now, if I do forget something, it's not a big deal because I work right next to where I live. But the more important the appointment, the more important it is that I have everything that I need. If I have a job interview, I make sure I don't forget my tie. If I'm going hiking, I don't wear my office shoes. If I'm going outside in the winter, I need to remember my winter coat. So the last thing to put on before leaving the house into a world that's going to tempt you into sin and shady dealings is Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, not because he's the the last thing you think of, but because he's your first line of defense. As Job says, I clothed myself in righteousness and it enveloped me. The last thing that you put on is the first thing that comes between you and whatever the day is going to throw at you. You know, you don't put a raincoat on underneath your t-shirt. Not if you want to keep your t-shirt dry. And so in this process of getting ready to face the day, the last thing that you put on consciously before leaving the house is Jesus Christ himself. And this means maybe two things. Number one, you put Jesus on because he's the one who covers you. 
He, he covers your sin in the eyes of a holy God. He covers your weaknesses and your failures in the eyes of the world. Jesus is your righteousness, and so you put him on, and by putting him on, you are declared righteous. But maybe there's another reason. You put Jesus on because you want to bring him with you. You want to bring him with you into those situations where you're tempted to give up or to give in or to snooze. You want to work into the uncertainties of life with the clarity and the certainty of Jesus enveloping you. It is as you put on the Lord Jesus that you make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This Advent, we are encountering Emmanuel. We are on the search for our Savior. We're looking out for him. And at the start of this new year, he's waiting for you to discover him so that you can encounter him. And when we choose to get up from the slumber of sin, and when we choose to love, we are encountering Emmanuel. And when we get dressed in the armor of light because we know that we're fighting apathy and that choosing love is a battle, we are encountering Emmanuel. And when we get going and we choose walking with decency, as in the daytime, we are encountering Emmanuel. And when we don't forget our coat by choosing to put on Christ, we are encountering Emmanuel. Because Here's the thing. Emmanuel means God with us. God is with us. And through Jesus, God is helping us to get up and to get dressed and to get going. And maybe putting on Christ is the most powerful way, the most potent way this Advent that you can know that God is with you. As you put on Christ, you are saying to the world, I carry Jesus with me everywhere I go And in order to get to me, you have to go through Jesus first. He envelops me. So I don't know what this next week holds for you. I don't know what your Advent looks like. But as we start this new church year, my prayer for you this Advent is that you will encounter Emmanuel, that you will know the truth of God with us.